Welcome to Beyond the Shoots is presented by Parasite Systems. I'm your host, Doug Simcox, and I hope that you're having a great day wherever you are and with whatever you may be doing. I'm back home, back from Quebec, recording in Taylorsville, Kentucky. Today we have a very special guest. He is and has been a part of rodeo at the highest levels. First as a competitor, winning 11 steer wrestling world championships, and then moving into a leadership role as the general manager of the International Professional Rodeo Association. It is my pleasure to welcome Mr. Dale Yerrigan to BTC. Dale, how are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks, Doug. It's uh, good to be with you. It is great to have you here. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long, long time. So many (laughs) topics we want to cover, right? So many, so many. My goodness, I I was at St. Tiet. I know you were at St. Tiet the week before I was up there. We'll talk about that. What a great show. Um, want to talk a little bit about the IPRA uh, growth and innovation and everything that that has happened historically there. New ownership announced in January of this year. We'll talk about that. And then I'm excited about the new technologies they're bringing in. But before we get there, I want to start at the beginning. Let's start with where you grew up. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you grew up in Minnesota. That's that's correct. Uh, most of the time and a uh, little little town of Isani, Minnesota, which which some people in rodeo recognize mm-hmm. because they do have a, a rodeo there, and uh, and it was a IPRA sanctioned rodeo for a long time. It is currently a PRCA sanctioned rodeo, so I'm not involved there anymore. But uh, that's it's a little town about an hour's drive north of downtown Minneapolis, and uh, most of my family still lives there and I was the only one that ran away from home and joined the circus or (laughs) (laughs) I I moved to Oklahoma when I was about 20 years old to pursue a a rodeo career and I've I've lived in Oklahoma ever since. Oh excellent excellent and Mm -hmm. and how did you find rodeo in Asante Minnesota was the was the rodeo already going on there in in Asante? Well it started when Mm -hmm. I was uh probably early teens uh and and uh, but i got started through high school rodeo okay. i uh i was uh i had a i was involved with 4-h when i was a when i was a kid and and I had a horse project with 4-h or you know went to the county fair and and some of those things and and then some some friends uh you know, got involved in high school rodeo some of them were a little bit older than me and and then got me started and there was uh, a couple guys that that from Isani, uh, Tom and John Bartz, uh, that were <clears throat> that were construction workers uh, during during the week, but rodeoed a lot. Uh, had some success on the regional level, and as well as uh, Tom qualified for the IFR a few times, and and so they they lived not far from me. Families were mutual friends, and and they were. Uh, Oh, eight or 10 years older than me. So they had a lot more experience than me, but they really helped me a lot and really helped me get started. And and so I started competing with them at high school rodeo first. And then when I graduated from high school, I, I practiced with them and, and traveled with them. And then, uh, when I, I guess I, I thought I was good enough and, and I got an offer from Red Duffin, who lives in Ada, Oklahoma, and he was a five-time IPRA world champion steer wrestler, and he invited me to come and stay with him and travel with him, and and so I packed up one spring and and moved to uh, Ada, Oklahoma, and and started uh, started to travel with him. 
at 20 years of age, you made that move. Yeah, and I'm sure my parents thought I was crazy and, and, and all of that, and uh, we laugh about it now. It's uh, a lot of time passed. Fortunately, my parents are both still still alive and, and uh, in their yeah, about 87 years old, and okay. so we look back now, and you know that's been 40 years since I packed up and moved off, and and uh, I don't know if they thought, well, he'll get this out of his system this summer and be back, or or what, but but here I am, and and it all worked out, I guess, the way it was supposed to. Absolutely. And what events, Dale, did you work <clears throat> in high school rodeo? What events? Yeah, so I I was a team roper and tie down roper uh, in in high school. I actually didn't didn't start steer wrestling right at the end of high school. And then as soon as I graduated from high school, uh, I got more serious about it. And I guess it came to me more naturally. I started having success sooner. Uh, and, uh, and, and I guess I, uh, really gravita- gravitated toward, toward the steer wrestling and, and would rope occasionally after, after I got out of high school, but, but not very often. And, and, you know, I might team rope somewhere with somebody in the practice pen and have entered a handful of rodeos over the years, but, but really focused on the steer wrestling after that and, and really, really got involved with that event. So, okay. And, and rodeo schools <clears throat> or anything as you came up? I, I didn't uh, go to anybody's rodeo school other than, as I said, Tom and John Bartz. I had, I had, they, they were competitive for, for being, you know, what people would call regional cowboys. They were, they were very competitive. And, and, uh, and so I had the benefit of living, you know, half a mile away. Our properties, my parents' property and, and their parents' property bordered on the back side. And so I, even when I started working after high school, <clears throat> I could get home from work and saddle my horse and ride across the pasture and, and through the back way. We had a path through there and ride over to the practice pen. And my horse was warmed up when I got there. And we practiced a lot. And, and they were a huge help to me. And, and having you know, that kind of knowledge and experience right in my backyard almost, it, it was, uh, uh, so I never, I never actually went to anybody else's school. Then when I moved to Oklahoma, just being around the guys and practicing with the guys I was traveling with, because there was, there was Red Duffin, who was a five-time world champion. There was Clarence LeBlanc that was a, uh, not then, he was a, a, a a one-time world champion at that point, uh, but, but hit one, another one after that. And, and Mike Sanders, who was a multi-time IFR qualifier later went to the NFR several times, you know, Dan Daly was traveling with us, you know, that's the kind of guys I was traveling with and practicing with. And so every day in the practice pen was a, was a school in it, in itself. And, you know, as well as in the truck and the conversation and, you know, going over our runs after we were done and learning from those guys, I, I benefited from that greatly without, without having to, you know, go to, go to somebody else's school. Yeah. And to have that mentorship, to have that, um, that influence, whether it be, you know, Red Duffin, as you said, or Clarence or Mike or Dan, um, the ability to, to look back and talk a little bit about, the rodeo mindset, you had to pick it up from these guys. How would you define the rodeo competitive mindset, Dale? Well, it's the analogy is used in other sports that you have to have a, a short memory. You know, it's almost like a baseball pitcher. You know, you, you throw a, a pitch that somebody hits for a home run. You got to 
you got to block that out and get right on to the next one. And it's a lot that way in rodeo. Uh, I, from those guys that I learned from and then develop, you know, my own style or strategy, whatever it would be. I think that I certainly, you know, reviewed the run that I made and, and critiqued it and, and tried to learn from the mistakes, but then you got to put it behind you because there's another rodeo, there's another steer to run. And, and if you're, you need to learn from it, but if you, if you dwell on it too much and, and are too hard on yourself and you're still thinking about the mistake that you made when you run the next one, I think you're more likely to repeat it. And, and so, you know, I always tried to learn from it and, and move on. Uh, I'm, I'm not a, I think people would say that, that have been around me a lot. I'm not a real emotional person as far as, uh, the highs and lows, try to keep it pretty even keeled. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I've seen other people and experience both where people are, you know, when they win, they're just on the top of the top of the world and they're jumping around and, and, uh, celebrating and, and, uh, and that's fine if that's, if that's what works for them. But then, you know, they're, they're usually when they, when they don't win or make a mistake, they're so hard on themselves that they almost get down. And there's a lot of peaks and valleys in, in rodeo and, and you can go on a cold streak and, you know, not draw the right steers or not make very good runs and, and not win for, for several rodeos in a row. And if you're just, you know, really emotional about it and, and beating yourself up, you're, you're probably not in a good state of mind when you do get the next opportunity. And so, uh, I tried to always keep things pretty, pretty even keeled, you know, mm-hmm. the high is not too high and the low is not too low. And I guess it worked out. Okay. Boy, I'll say, I'll say 11 <clears throat> world championships. And, and what are those rodeo lessons, Dale, have you carried with you into the rest of your life, whether it's family or business or relationships or whatever? Well, I, just the things that I was talking about with the, you know, high is not too high and the low is not too low. I, I think that that goes along with, with, with most things in my life. Uh, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate family wise. My, as I mentioned, my parents are both, both still alive and, and, uh, have a brother and two sisters. Uh, we all have good relationships and, and, uh, you know, the, I have a, a wife, Kathy, that's, I've been married for be 35 years, uh, this fall in November. And, and, uh, she grew up in a rodeo family. Her, her father was, uh, Bob Inc, uh, who was the president of the IPRA back in the seventies and an IFR qualifier and judged and picked up and lots of different things. And, and her mom, Barb, uh, was a IFR qualifier in the barrel racing and, and, uh, so we met through rodeo, but, uh, and we have one son, uh, Garrett that just turned 29 the other day and he's a rodeo announcer and has been the announcer of the year, uh, the last two years in the, in the PRCA. But before that he announced in the IPRA and was announcer of the year in the IPRA and, and, uh, as well as d- announced the IFR five times. And, and so, uh, rodeo has been a big part of our family, but, you know, it, it, all of it with business training, there's going to be those highs and lows. I mean, I have calls from people now on the business side of things, you know, when something doesn't go their way or they feel like uh, something didn't go right at a rodeo or the judge made a bad call or whatever it is, I understand that they're upset and, and some of them, you know, are so emotional. They just like, it's the end of the world. Like, you know, the sun is not going to come up tomorrow because, this guy 
uh, made a bad call or I got a late flag or, you know, I wasn't enough points or whatever it might be. And, and, you know, it's probably going to work out. Maybe you did, uh, you know, not win as much as you were supposed to win today, but maybe last week you got a good call or next week you'll get a, a little bit of an early flag. It, it has a tendency to kind of work out in rodeo. Some people call it, you know, cowboy justice. I don't know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if that's yeah. the right term for it, yeah. but it does seem to kind of work out. But if if you're really focused on the negative and dwelling on it, uh, now that doesn't mean that somebody shouldn't call and, mm-hmm. and, you know, inform us that, that there's a judge that's, that's making mistakes or that something went wrong. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not suggesting at all that we ignore any problems or complaints, but just, uh, you know, try to try to address it in a in, in a calm manner, and you know, because if you if you're just so emotional that you're uh you know just putting all of your eggs in that basket that that one call cost you you know yeah. going to the finals or yeah. whatever it might be, I, I think uh, the the ebb and flow of rodeo has has a a way of working out over the long term over over a whole year or season. So, yeah. uh, but I so I've tried to apply that to to most things in life. And I, I had a, I was in the dentist office uh, earlier this year and had a tooth that had some problems. And he said, do you grit your teeth a lot? And I said, well, I, I hope not a lot, but sometimes <laughs> I do, but it keeps me from saying things that I shouldn't. Ah. And, and I was joking, yeah. but you know, sometimes you have to listen to somebody vent and, and uh, get, you know, blow off a little steam and get something off their chest. And then analyze it and and see what really happened and try to try to deal with the you know the best way that you can and and not get caught up in in the emotions of it you bet you bet and Mm -hmm. and you competed at over a hundred rodeos a year so you had to have seen a lot of different a a lot of different situations you got into whether it was mud or or snow or good steers or bad steers you just went with it right Well, yeah, and and you have to, or the only way you're going to be successful, and and you're not always going to have the good one, and and sometimes the conditions and stuff. I, you know, I I was, I think if I would look back, pretty successful in the mud, for instance, Were because okay. Okay. some some people, some people, when we got somewhere, and you know, you don't control Mother Nature, and and you know, a lot of rodeos are outdoors, and and so you're gonna you're going to deal with mud and weather conditions and, and, you know, rain and cold and hot and, and all those things. Well, I think some people were thinking, Oh, the yeah. conditions are terrible and yeah. the mud's deep and you know, this and that. And, and, uh, well, I didn't prefer to compete in the mud. I, I like the nice, dry, perfect conditions like everybody, but some people are almost defeated a little mm-hmm. bit just mm-hmm. because of the conditions. And if you go out there and give it your best effort, every time uh you're certainly going to beat those ones that aren't giving it their best effort and yeah, so yeah. you know if if uh in those muddy conditions i never i never worried about if i was going to get muddy or if it was more dangerous or whatever it was uh, uh you know so I, I, if anything i felt like i had an advantage because i was still going to go at it and try to win something and and uh, you know that I think some of them maybe didn't didn't have winning on their mind. They had 
you know, boy, it's nasty out there on their mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's a great point and a great example of perspective. Um, yeah. Backing in the box, not wanting to be there because of the mud and you turn it, you flip it and go, no, I, I think there's an advantage here. I think I can pull this off. And you said you're pretty good in the mud, but man, that attitude, when you back in, you still go for the win. Well, yeah. And, and that's, that's, uh, the thing about competition, I'm sure, I mean, rodeo is the thing that I'm the most familiar with because I did it for the, the, the longest time. I didn't compete in, in other professional sports, but, uh, you know, it, it is so much mental. And sometimes you have to just use whatever you have. I've, I've seen people that, uh, you know, if, if they have a steer that they don't think is very good because his track record is, is bad, uh, they're probably not going to win one because maybe the steer isn't very good, but also because they've got a bad attitude and they're not going to, they're defeated before they nod their head. And, and, uh, uh, you know, I think you got to go at it and, and, you know, I placed on some steers that, that maybe didn't have a very good track record because I still gave it the effort and, and, you know, maybe that steer had a bad day and I had a good day, but, maybe the steer wasn't as bad as what the, you know, the record showed and, and, you know, the right person hadn't run him yet. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I think if you, and, and, and ride a good horse and in my event was, was key to have a, have a horse that would let you win in different situations. Sure. And, and what year we're going to talk <clears throat> about the horses here in a minute. What year did you jump with uh, red and in the truck? You were 20 years of age. What year did you do that Dale? Uh, that was in 1984 and, uh, I turned 25 or excuse me, I turned 21 that year, but okay. it, it, I, okay. my birthday's in June. So I, and okay. I had moved down there before that. So I was okay. still 20 in the beginning of 84. So you said going hard, no, no, no other <clears throat> job, Dale, you're a hundred percent on the road. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, now I've, I've done other things along the way, mm -hmm. uh, in the 25 years or so that I spent competing and that being my primary focus and, and livelihood, uh, you know, there's ups and downs and sometimes I'd get short on money and I grew up around the construction business and, and, uh, so I could do some things. And so sometimes I'd go build pole barns for a few days when I was home or, you know, different things, help somebody build a house, uh, you know, whatever, it, whatever it took to, to keep going. And, uh, and then, uh, and then having horses and, and hauling my own and, and making mount money and stuff was, uh, was a, a good supplement to what I could win also. Yeah. So in 1985, they mounted you up, Red put you on horses, good horses. And you started, uh, you started with good quality, quality stock. Yeah. And, and I went starting in Minnesota, Tom and John Bartz mm -hmm. that helped me get started. They, they had good horses as well. And, and, uh, and so, and I had bought a horse, uh, Jack Wiseman, who's another legendary figure in, in IPRA history came to my little hometown rodeo at Isani, Minnesota, uh, before I'd moved to Oklahoma and, and he had brought a horse that belonged to somebody else up there for somebody to look at, to buy. And that guy, wasn't interested anymore. I don't know what happened there. And, and so Jack mentioned it to, I think it was John Bartz, uh, that, you know, he had this horse and, and I'd been practicing on their horses and stuff and, and riding their horses. And so they told me about him and I tried him there after the rodeo and, and bought the horse. 
and uh, and he was a pretty good horse, and and I learned a lot riding him. And then, well, you know, yeah, when I moved to Reds, then he had a horse called Reverend that was uh, uh, a horse of the year, and and was a was a really good high level horse. And and Clarence and Mike and Dan and all those guys and Red himself and others had been winning on him, and he was a proven winner. And and so it was a good situation to just get in there, have the you know, a good horse, experienced Hazer with Red and Mike Sanders also, you know, hazed a lot of the time in that rig and, and he was and he was really good and and so, you know, it was it was one less thing to worry about. I knew when I got to the rodeo, I you know, I had a good horse under me and I had a good Hazer beside me and I, I always felt like I had a had a chance to win. But you know, a twenty year old kid, I, I'm sure I thought I knew everything about how the world went around, but uh it was a learning experience for me, for sure. And to have those guys to, to, to mentor and learn from uh, was, was, a, was a big advantage. You bet. And did Red have a hazing, a hazing horse as well? So he hauled a team? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yep. Yep. So we had all that, all that ready to go. And I, and I took my horse with me when I moved down there. Mm-hmm. And he let me keep my horse there and stuff. And, and so I would usually just practice on him. Once in a while, I'd take him to a jackpot and ride him if Red was going to leave his good horse off, you know, and not take to a small jackpot or something. I would take my own, but I ran a lot of practice steers on, on my, on the horse that I had when I moved down there. Yeah. So in 1984, <laughs> you're riding Red's horse, Reverend, uh, a yep. year later, you win your first championship <clears throat> in the IPRA as a steer wrestler, 1985. Yeah. I, uh, uh, you know, I, I qualified for the IFR that first year in, in 84 for the first time. And, and then, uh, came back in, in 85 and, uh, Clarence LeBlanc that was traveling with us, uh, lived at Okmulgee, Oklahoma and, and Clarence, uh, was going to build a, a house and, and, you know, he knew what it was like as a young guy trying to make it rodeo and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, he invited me to come and stay with him if, if I would help him, uh, build his house, uh, he was building on the same place where he lived with his family. And, and, uh, and so, uh, he would help me with entry fees and stuff, but, you know, he didn't have a lot of money to, to, to pay me either, but, uh, he'd make sure I got to the rodeos and entry fees paid and stuff. So I moved up there and, and lived up there at his place and bought a little trailer house and parked out back and, and helped him build his house. And, and then uh, that spring, uh, Clarence ended up buying a, a really good horse, uh, Palomino horse called called Fox. That uh, uh, so then uh, he kind of put his own rig together, and and I got in and rodeoed with him, and and then that's the horse that I rode uh, the most of that year, and then rode at the IFR that next January and won my won my first championship on okay so you jumped into another rig who else was hauling with you and clarence in in 1985 so so uh mike sanders also you know went with us it was me and clarence and and mike and and uh dan got in with us uh, uh for a while and uh clarence's brother kenneth who qualified for the ifr multiple times and was a really good hazer and and uh he went with us and uh, that, you know, there were those, those first couple of years, uh, uh, then, uh, uh, I, I got out of Clarence, 
a year or so later, then Clarence decided he wanted to stay around closer to home. Mm -hmm. So he told uh, those of us that were traveling with him. And so that's when I bought my own, bought another horse and, and, uh, and, uh, put my own rig together and, and started, started hauling my own. And most of the guys that were, some of the guys that were going with Clarence then got in with me because he was going to stay home and, and, uh, and stay closer to home for a little bit. And, and, uh, so, so, uh, yeah, it was, it, but again, it was a, a group of winners that, you know, uh, uh, there, there's so many cliches used, you know, iron sharpens iron and you're only as good as the company you keep and all those things, but there's a lot of truth to them. And I think that you, you do learn from the people around you, even if, even if you're not, you know, they're not really telling you what to do. They lead by example and you see what they do and see what they do to be successful. And you absorb that and learn from it. And, and, uh, I think that, uh, you know, all that, all that adds up. And, and if it, it's there, if you want to learn it, they're, they're there. And, and, uh, you know, just the natural progression, usually the, the guys that just want to whine and belly ache and not really put out the effort. It's just kind of a natural, <laughs> succession that they mm-hmm. usually go away and the and the mm-hmm. and the winners keep going and and uh you know the guys with the with with the good attitude and they're willing to put into it that, you know what it takes they they, they usually survive and, and yeah. stay around the longest so. yeah i really like that yeah yeah and 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 one of the biggest questions i get from our listeners dale is about the road they want to know about the road and you're doing a hundred rodeos a year at this time, about how many miles a year are you putting on your rig? Oh, uh, like usually over a hundred thousand miles a year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so, so it, it's, it's a lot of wear and tear on, on equipment and yourself and, and, and all of that. But, and, and, <laughs> you know, the, the, the traveling groups, it's, it, in, until somebody does it, it's really hard to describe, or as it is for me. But it 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 really becomes kind of its own little family because mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. you're kind of spending more time with them than maybe you are your real family. Yeah. And uh, and and like all families, there's a little dysfunction along the way, or or you know somebody <laughs> doesn't like somebody as well, or they have a disagreement or whatever. But most of the time, uh, it you know, and and there's 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 things that are are funny that happen that even if you didn't think it was funny at the time you know <laughs> yeah. i look back now i yeah. i i uh, uh it, you know it's just but the camaraderie and the we're, we're all in it for the same purpose right mm-hmm. and we're helping each other get down the road and and everybody's helping with expenses and, and and all of those things because for one guy to load up and go to 100 rodeos and drive 100,000 miles it, it's not realistic one the cost of it uh it would, would eat you up. And then, and then also, you know, just if you had to do all that driving yourself where, you know, we shared all that, you know, you know, uh, uh, one bunch would be in the camper sleeping while the other bunch was driving. And then, you know, when that group was tired, we'd switch, switch places and rotate and away we'd go again. And, and, you know, we could drive all night, all day. And, you know, just in rotations like that. And, cover a lot of cover a lot of territory and you were able to get everybody up most generally into the same performance and that sort of thing to keep the truck together yeah and and most of the most of the rodeos had slack after the performances mm-hmm. there's some exceptions where they had a uh you know a morning slack or something but a lot of the time the slack was after the performance so 
you know, if we, we, some of us might meet up during the rodeo and some after, but we could usually, we could usually get entered uh, how we needed to. And now when we start out the week, we might say we want to go to A, B, and C. And, and when we tried to enter, it didn't work out that way. So we end up going to C, B, and A, or, you know, <laughs> and, and go backwards and, and start on the other end of things or, you know, and, and also, especially back then, a lot of the rodeos down here in Oklahoma in this area would start on Wednesday or Thursday night and end on Saturday night because they didn't traditionally back then have rodeos on Sunday and, you know, in the South, what everybody called the Bible Belt. And so uh, a lot of times we would start and go to a couple rodeos kind of down this way, and then we'd work our way north and, and, uh, you know, go to a rodeo in Indiana or Illinois or Michigan and might end up in, in Pennsylvania or New York or you never know and just however it worked out. But because uh, uh, they had more Sunday rodeos up there, so usually we'd start south and work our way north and then come back and the next week do it all again and make a, make a big circle. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you did the logistics and the planning, did you have one person in the truck that did all the entries to keep everybody together? Well, and so things have really changed <laughs> as far as how you enter rodeos yeah. in the modern, yeah. modern day. So yeah. back then, uh, the individual secretaries were taking the entries on one phone line. And so it was, and, and it was a real rat race to try to get entered at the rodeo. So, uh, one of the things that made us successful, both when I traveled with Red or Clarence or and then had my own rig, was we would we would either everybody, if we were home, give everybody a list and we'd all be calling to I get see. entered. So we'd ha- we, we may have plus, you know, wives, girlfriends, friends, mom, dad, whoever we could get to call. We might have 10 or more people calling with our list trying to get us entered. And so, or if we were on the road, we'd stop at a truck stop that had, uh, you know, and now everybody's got a cell phone. You can't hardly find a pay phone. But mm-hmm. back then, there'd be a whole long <laughs> bank of, of uh, pay phones in a truck stop. Yeah. And we would stop when it was time to enter. And we would get, you know, six or eight or ten of us, however many wow. in the wow. rig. Okay. Uh, on a bank of pay phones and, uh, you know, we'd be dialing as fast as we could and busy signal, busy signal and hang up, you know, and then, uh, you know, we finally get through and go through our list and, and, uh, it was quite a, quite an operation, you know, now if people uh, get a busy signal or in a panic, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. uh, you know, we, we it, it was, it was those, those kinds of things have changed a lot in rodeo with, with central entry systems and, and online entries. And, you know, now we use a system that has a, an app you download from the app store and you can enter through it. Uh, uh, it's, it, you know, that part of it's a lot different, but we, that back then it was, you know, when I moved to Red's house, this is really going to tell my age, but uh, he got a he got a, a push button phone, uh, and it, it recently, and that was a big deal because yeah. the rotary dial. You know, you could wear a blister on your finger with the rotary yep. dial phone, yep. enter rodeos, yep. and and uh, and then got one with redial oh, on man. it. Well, man, I mean, that was like a high tech deal to have a phone with with redial. <laughs> Ah, that's interesting. Yeah. And we're going to talk technology in a, uh, in a future conversation because, man, you guys are getting it on down there. Now, one thing I want to point out to our truck or to our to our listeners, you're hauling with six or eight or ten, ten cowboys. And yeah. 
you got a truck full of winners. So <laughs> basically, if you want to make any money, you got to beat your truck. Is that a fair statement? For sure. I, and I think that, and, and, and we weren't the only ones. That, yeah, that yeah. was common then for more guys to travel together and stuff. You know, now there's, I, I kind of partly jokingly say, <laughs> you know, there's, they want to go two guys in a 40 foot rig and pull in there and, you know, yeah. and, and there's not even room in the parking lot for everybody anymore. But back then, it was mostly time event guys were mostly traveling in a camper mm-hmm. and a bumper pull trailer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not a big living quarters trailer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a lot of the rough stock guys had either a pickup and a shell camper or a, or a van vans were common for rough stock guys to travel in then. And, and, uh, you know, you'd pile everybody in there. We put in $20 a piece for gas and, and we're liable to make it a long ways on $20 a piece. Yeah. Of course, gas yeah. prices were a lot cheaper. And then, you know, we might have to put five or 10 more a piece in to, to get back home. But, uh, it, you know, it was a lot, a lot different then and a lot more affordable, you know, with, with fuel prices and, and everything. But, uh, but yeah, we would, you know, when we pulled in a rodeo, when we had that, that kind of a group, I felt like if I was winning something when we left, I had a good chance to win something because mm-hmm. just by beating the guys in my truck, yep. I felt like I, you know, I was, yep. I was probably going to fare pretty well in the overall because all those champions and, and IFR qualifiers that, that we traveled with. And, and, uh, I think it, you know, it, 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 it made the competition tough, uh, no matter who else was entered mm-hmm. just with our truck being there, it made the, the competition pretty, pretty high level. Yeah. And, and you talked rodeo mindset. Um, <laughs> were you able to not think about beating my competitors and, and shifting as you, as you talked about running in the mud and that sort of thing to, to make the best of what you got to do as good as you can on that steer. Was that the mindset when you backed into the box? Sure. Because, uh, you know, and, and our, in our traveling group, we all, talked about steers and even the guys that weren't in our truck, you know, steer wrestlers are famous for this, that, that we all help each other. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a, a bit of a brotherhood and there's people riding other people's horses more than there is in other events and stuff, but we would share knowledge about steers. Uh, I, you know, I learned to get pretty good at it, but when I first, you know, ventured off and, and really started to rodeo hard, uh, I wasn't the best at remembering, you know, steer numbers and herds mm-hmm. and stuff. But as the summer went on and we went to some of the same stock contractors rodeos and they'd run the same pen of steers, you know, most of the year, uh, we got familiar with them. So, you know, we would look at the draw and say, I've got 57 and Clarence would say, yeah, I had him over there two weeks ago at such and such, you know, those kinds of conversations. And, uh, and, and, well, you still have to back in there and run them and not get too much pre-planning. I mean, mm-hmm. you can overthink it, mm-hmm. but it'll let, it, you know, it, it helps to know that steer's a little slower. I need to let him start a little more, or he really runs hard, or he checks off when you get there. So you can be ready for those things. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it, it really is a lot of, you know, it's good to, 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 you know, share information that way and, and learn from the others. And then as I moved along in my career, I got pretty good at remembering them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I was hauling horses, guys would kind of depend on me, you know, when, when they came to ride my horse, they'd say, you know, they tell me what steer they've got. Do you know anything about him? Mm-hmm. Well, not only I would want to give them that information 
anyway. But if they were riding my horse, it, you know, I wanted them to have the best opportunity to win because I stood to get a percentage of what they won. And mm-hmm. so that was, you know, and, and besides just the, the cowboy way of doing things yeah. and being yeah. honest with somebody and telling them what you know about it about a steer sure did you keep a, a written record did any of the cowboys you traveled with keep a book yeah so some did uh i i didn't usually uh you know keep a keep a book on them uh a lot of the a lot of my career i spent really busy on the hazing side as well and hazing for lots of contestants so i wasn't sitting on the sideline and able to keep a keep a notebook but uh uh, you know, some, some did. And sometimes somebody in our truck would, would keep a list and stuff for, for, for the future, especially early in the year until we kind of got to know the, know the steers and stuff. But I, I developed a pretty good memory, uh, I guess survival skills, you know, Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. it was, it was an, it was an advantage to have a good memory and remember cattle and, and, uh, and be able to remember those things. And so, uh, I got, I got pretty good at that. Okay. Okay. And, and when you mound them up on your dog and horse, uh, you also had a hazing horse you were hauling. You had a yes. team. Yep. Okay. And yep. did you typically, unless you're competing, were you the hazer, uh, helping that cowboy? Yeah. Yeah. I hazed a lot of steers and then I would usually have somebody in the truck that would haze for me every once in a while. They would haze for some other guys too. If we were back to back on a horse or something like that. But, but most of the time I would do all the all the hazing except for except for when i competed okay and and you know we've we've talked with a lot of doggers but i've never talked with somebody about the skills needed to be a good successful hazer what what are those skills now well it it, it, you really need to be able to to read cattle from the standpoint because now if you've got a really good seasoned hazing horse it makes it much easier and and they'll they'll do a lot of it themselves i mean they'll they'll break from the box hard and raid off when they get to the steer like they need to and stuff but there's there's you know to me if if you can kind of be watching the the what position the steer wrestler is in because if his horse is a little wide you need to be in position to to move the steer over closer or if his horse is coming in real close, if you can, the quicker you can judge that and you can move over and give him a little more room, uh, you know, things like that. Some steers, especially as the, the season goes on and the steers get more runs on them, some of them will start to, to check off or mm-hmm. let off when you get to them. Mm-hmm. And while that can be a big advantage, because you can get your feet on the ground faster mm-hmm. if one will let off. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you jump out there too quick and shut the steer off before that guy's ready and the steer stops and he doesn't get a chance to, to, to catch him or he's all strung out and out of position, then, then you've hurt his chances. So mm-hmm. being, being able to be, uh, that's one of the reasons why I, I really like to have a hazing horse that could really run uh, sometimes even faster than the steer wrestling horse because oh, wow. I could I could hold up a little bit and kind of read the play you know and see the position of the of the contestant and then when they're in there ready to catch and and in good position you can run up there a little further mm-hmm. and you know and and get the steer to pick his head up and let off and lose some of that forward momentum and uh, and help the help the contestant uh, uh, you know but. But it, it's a it's a real art to it, and and 
takes lots of repetition and practice and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and it's not necessarily that somebody has to have been a steer wrestler to haze, mm-hmm. but I think it's most of the time it's an advantage because they've experienced, they know what it's like on the other side and, and it usually helps them to read those cattle and, and adjust to a situation that, that they personally have experienced and kind of know, know what you need and what you don't need because some hazers are too aggressive. You know, there's too much contact. They're always bumping steers and stuff when you don't need it. And, and that's not always a good thing. So it's, it's a happy medium there to be in position that, to help when you're needed, but not overdo it and, 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 and kind of be too much help and get in the way. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. That, uh, I think our listeners will enjoy hearing about, uh, the skills and, and, and to be fair, you, when you, when you won your championships at the IFR, we'll get into a few more here in just a minute. You were still hazing at that point as well as competing as a, as a dogger. Uh, yeah, most, most of the years, like the, the first, the first couple championships I won the first one for sure. I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't know if I hazed for anybody else that year, but as, as things went along, I hazed a lot of steers. There was, there was one year in Oklahoma city at the fairgrounds that I think I had, I had two steer wrestling horses and I had, uh, like seven, six or seven guys ride one horse and oh, wow. two ride another horse. And then I haze for two more guys. I mean, I hazed almost, I mean, I'd haze 10, 12 steers a night out of 15. I mean, I haze most of the steers plus competed myself. And so it was, it was nonstop, you know, I just boom, 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 and, and jump from one horse to another. And, and, uh, you know, it was, it, it, it made things go really fast and, and really busy, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think that was a combination of, especially the guys that weren't riding my horse that asked me to haze for them. They could have got anybody to haze, but it made me feel good that they felt like I was, you know, gave them their best opportunity to win. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and with hazing or competing 12 out of 15 runs, did the hazing help warm you up, get into that mindset? Was there some advantage there, Dale? Well, I got really used to it. You know, uh, one guy that I, I spent some time around and, and I've seen, I've seen this affect people differently. Uh, so, so Roy Duvall that mm-hmm. I was fortunate mm-hmm. to spend some time around in my career, uh, and get to know a little bit. He, he was, he was the best at, uh, or one of the best guys I was, I was ever around about, about attitude and being a winner. Like, uh, he didn't, I've seen guys that, that, that are winning and, and having success and then they get their own horses and they're hazing and doing all the other things and take care of their horse and, and their rig and everything. And it, and it almost takes away from their, their steer wrestling because they're worried about all this other stuff. Or if you haze a steer and you make a mistake, I felt terrible if I made a mistake and messed up hazing for somebody, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't want to sound like it didn't bother me, mm-hmm. but then you have to, again, the short memory thing, you have mm-hmm. to forget about that. Cause then when it's your turn and you get on the horse, you have to know that you did the best you could. Mm-hmm. You made a mistake, but mm-hmm. you know, you, you, it wasn't lack of effort. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. you, tr- you, you know, you tried your best and then block that out and focus on running your steer and competing the, you know, the, the best you could on that steer because if you're still thinking when you back in the box, if you're thinking about, 
oh man, I, yeah. I can't believe yeah. I just messed up for might be your best friend that you just made a mistake on. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can't think about that. You've got to, you've got to move on and, and really hundred percent focus on, on winning. And, and, uh, you know, and every time you back in there, uh, good steer, bad steer, whatever you've, you've got to go with the mindset that you're, you're, you're there to win. And, and, you know, that's some of the things, again, I learned from guys like, you know, Red and Clarence and, and even Jack, Jack and I never did travel a lot together. Uh, you know, but, but I was around Jack a lot and, and he, he had a great attitude and he was a winner and, and, uh, he, you know, he, he, every time he backed in there, he was going to try to win something. It didn't matter if, you know, what had happened before or after that. And, and, uh, Roy Duvall was a, was a great example of that, that, that he was, he, he was, he was a winner and, and he was going to be block all that out when he backed in there for, for his turn. Yeah. More rodeo life lessons is what I'm hearing. Um, I love it. You did the best you could, right? Things yep. happen, yep. but if you know, yep. you've done the best you can then, and then, and then shifting and letting that pass go. And I love that. Absolutely love that. And how to move forward and, <clears throat> and how to get refocused and time to go, time to go. Yep. Here we are. Yeah. Um, so did you, you started your own rig in 1986, hauling a team. Did you maintain your rig then through the rest of your career? Uh, most of the time, yeah. a couple of breaks in between. And mm-hmm. so in the, in the late eighties and in, uh, in 86, there was, uh, people, a lot of people aren't aware of this or, or know about it or have forgotten about it, but, uh, prior to that, there was rules in the PRCA mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. couldn't, you couldn't be a member, uh, you couldn't compete anywhere except for PRCA rodeos if you're a PRCA member and, mm-hmm. and they would fine you or suspend you if they found out that you went to an unsanctioned, non-sanctioned rodeo or, or had a membership, but somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And then consequently the IPRA had a similar rule that, uh, you couldn't be a member of an organization that wouldn't allow our members to be oh, members. I so, see. I see. And so, uh, there was, there was separation before that. And so, uh, they, the PRCA got sued on a right to work issue and mm-hmm. lost the lawsuit. And so that sort of opened it up where, where everybody could go everywhere. And, okay. and uh, so, uh, me, like a bunch of other people, uh, you know, bought a PRCA permit and, and filled my permit. And, and I guess that would have been, uh, 86, uh, end of 86 or somewhere along there. Then, then 87, mm-hmm. uh, I went, uh, or maybe it was, maybe it was 87 when I got a permit. Anyway, I went to some of them and filled my permit and stuff. And then 88 and 89, I went to, uh, uh, a lot of, a lot of PRCA rodeos. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but in the, in the, uh, spring of, of 88, I had, a. uh, no, it was spring of 87. My years are getting away from me. Spring <laughs> of 87, I had a wreck. Uh, myself and Mark Owen, who was a good friend and traveling partner, uh, and Red Duffin, it was just the three of us, and we went to Hampton, Virginia, to a rodeo, and we were coming back home, and we were over around, not far from Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. on, on Interstate 40 over there, and in the middle of the night and ran off the road in the center median Mark oh, was wow. driving. Oh, uh, wow. I was in the passenger seat and, and red was actually in the camper and 
And so we went off in the median and rolled the truck and trailer multiple times. And, and, uh, and so it, uh, and it was my truck and trailer. And mm-hmm. so we, uh, we, we totaled it and, uh, and, uh, and, and everybody survived, thankfully, uh, mm-hmm. no, no severe injuries there. Mm-hmm. Both horses survived. Oh, wow. And then the, okay. the, the hazing horse that was, uh, that was an older horse anyway that I had at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, he didn't seem to be hurt bad at all. Mm-hmm. He had some cuts and scrapes, but, but nothing major. And, uh, and about a month later, I gave them all, both some time off and, and about a month later, uh, he died and, uh, I didn't have an autopsy done, but I, they think he had a, a heart attack or a blood clot or, or something like that because, there was no sign of distress. He, mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. I found him dead one morning oh. laying on, on a, you know, smooth dirt area where, you know, it, he, you could tell he hadn't thrashed around or mm-hmm. rolled around mm-hmm. or, or any of that. It was pretty, you know, pretty sudden and, and he laid down and died, it appeared. And so, okay. so anyway, uh, then, uh, I, I sold, uh, I, I got another, I had another hazing horse that I had started. And so after the other horse got well, I went back to hauling my own. And then I had an opportunity. I, I sold those, uh, to a guy in Canada, those horses. And, and I got in and rodeoed with Bill and Sam Duval for, for, uh, most of 88 and, and all of 89 and, and went to a lot of PRCA rodeos and, and, uh, uh, went to some others as well, but mostly to those. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so rodeo with them. And then 1990, uh, Clarence still had the yellow horse that I won my first championship on. And, and, uh, I decided, uh, that was, uh, I got married in the fall of 88. And, uh, and so I, I came back, uh, I guess, I guess, uh, uh, it, it I'm, I, again, I'm trying to get my year straight. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it would have been 1990. Then I got back in with Clarence and rodeoed with him, you know, all of, all of that year and went with him and went back to the IFR and, and, uh, and then uh, once again, Clarence decided he was going to stay around closer to home. And so my old friend, John Barts back in Minnesota, where I grew up, yeah. uh, had a horse that, I liked, I had never ridden, but, uh, I, I, I liked him, liked the looks of him and I thought he'd fit me. And, uh, I went up there at Christmas time to see my folks and, and went over and visited with John and made a deal to, to buy, buy his horse. And, oh, wow. and, uh, he sold him to me. And, and so I bought a truck and trailer again and the way we went and back on, back on the trail with my own rig and. And, uh, then pretty much after that, I always, I always had my own when I was, when I was rodeoing. Okay. Okay. And, and who jumped with you, if you can remember. So this would be in the nineties. You, you, well, 1990, you were back in with Clarence and you went to the IFR. So that would have been in 91, that IFR. January of 91. Yeah. January of 91, which was the first year that the IFR moved to Oklahoma city okay. in, uh, in the old, what was the myriad then, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, uh, it changed names over the years, but it was the myriad then. And that's where the DNFR had been before it moved to Vegas. And that was the year that you then in, in, in January of 1991, you won another title. Yes. 
no, nope, that would be a year later. Okay. 1990, even though the finals yeah. was in 91, yeah. it was the 90 season, and that was Clarence's second championship. So, oh, so, okay. Uh, uh, he won his second one that year. And then, and then the following year is when I kind of got, got back on a roll and, and, uh, had, uh, had success for the, I guess the next nine years, I the was going to say were, you were a good decade. You had the decade wrapped up. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, every single year beginning in 1991, running through 1999, nine championships. Incredible. Um, so how did how did your steer wrestling go back to 91 take us through those years how did your steer wrestling evolve from 91 to 99 what changed what was going on in the world what was going on with you i know you got married in 80 in 88 so you've got a family now yeah and so uh you know, one of the things that as I look back and I probably didn't realize it at the time, but <clears throat> even even some of the early success I had, I mean, I don't think I got, you know, too big headed or full of myself when I had success. But I didn't have as much experience as a lot of guys steer wrestling because many of them started, uh, you know, when they were much younger than when I started and and. Uh, and, you know, so even though I was having some success qualifying for the IFR, you know, I won championships in 85 and 86, uh, I didn't, uh, uh, I don't think I was near at my, my peak or my prime yet. Uh, I was in my early 20s and, and, uh, and so, and I think a lot of times steer wrestlers, you know, it, it changes with everybody, but I don't think they necessarily peak if they can avoid you know, serious injury. Mm -hmm. I think late twenties and early thirties and maybe even mid thirties is, is when a lot of them peak. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think I was, as I, as I got closer to 30, I think I was, uh, more physically mature and certainly more mentally mature. And, and, uh, uh, and, and I think, and, and had a lot more experience and repetition and had run a lot of steers and seen lots of different situations. And, and, uh, I think, I think in my during that time there in the uh, in the you know in the mid you know early through through all of the nineties really I I think I was at my peak and my prime mm -hmm. uh, you know the the last year that I won it uh, nineteen ninety nine mm -hmm. uh, Ronnie Fields was one of my traveling partners and and he was really coming on strong <clears throat> and about labor day weekend he was ahead of me quite a bit uh i say quite a bit but i mean he had a lead and and he was really coming into his own and he had really gotten where he he was i felt like one of the best out there in 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 any association and and he was really coming into his own and while i wasn't going to quit trying mm -hmm. i really thought it was his year and mm -hmm. and he hurt his knee uh, Labor Day weekend. I mean, he was traveling with me at Jasper, Arkansas, and and it put him out for the rest of the year. He had to have oh, knee wow. surgery, and he he probably shouldn't have come back in time to compete at the IFR, but he did. Mm -hmm. Surgery was success, and he got a good brace, and and so he didn't he didn't uh, compete from from Labor Day weekend till the end of the season. Oh wow which is the end of November. So, so I went to a lot of rodeos that he wasn't able to go to and I caught him in the standings 
And then I ended up staying ahead of him at the IFR and beating him by a little bit. And, mm-hmm. and I remember, and, and Ronnie and I are still really good friends and, and have remained friends and, uh, really got close in those years that he was traveling with me. And, and I, he came, he was one of the first ones to come and congratulate me when, when it was over the last round of the IFR. And, and I, I remember, you know, telling him that, uh, you know, uh, I thanked him for the congratulations, but that I knew that had he, if he hadn't got hurt, the story would have been different. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the next year was his year. And then he won three in a row the next three years and became just a, uh, you know, a dominant, dominant figure in the, in the steer wrestling. And did you, were you still going Dale at that time, 2000 and forward? Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, those, those early two thousands, the, the first time I didn't make the IFR, I always remember, I forget exactly what year it was, but probably about 2003 or so the first year that I missed the IFR in a long time, uh, people were trying to be nice and, and they would say, uh, uh, gosh, I know you didn't go to as many rodeos as, as usual and, and, uh, you know, this and that, and kind of making excuses for me that mm-hmm. I didn't make it. And, and, uh, Ronnie Fields and Tudor Silver were one, two of my traveling partners that went with me. And, and I said, Hey, I appreciate that. And, and, uh, but I, I just, I just didn't, didn't perform well enough. I said the, the, the two guys that traveled with me and went to the same rodeos are both in the top five. I mean, I don't have any excuse that I, that I didn't make it. I, I didn't go to as many rodeos as I had some years, but, uh, you know, they were, they, they, they certainly did, but they were, they were younger and better than me. And, and, you know, they won, uh, you know, they, they won more than I did. And, and so it, it was nobody's, nobody's fault, but my own. And, okay. and, uh, so, so yeah, I kept going, uh, through those years and, and, uh, uh, really, uh, right up through, uh, although I didn't go as much, uh, Oh, Oh, six, uh, the fall of Oh six, I was, uh, uh, at a, uh, 20 miles from my house at Claremore, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was at a rodeo. It was called roundup for Jesus. And it wasn't a sanctioned event. It was a, uh, gentleman named Marty Brock who, uh, been around rodeo a long time and long time tie down roper, uh, is also a cowboy, uh, preacher. And, uh, and he put on, he, once in a while, he puts on rodeos and he calls them Roundup for Jesus and, and a local church group or a group of churches will put them on and no admission. And they, they invite people to come and watch the rodeo and then they'll, they'll preach a message, you know, at intermission or, or before or after the rodeo. And so I was at, at one of those and I was hazing for somebody on my own horses and uh, I'd got a different hazing horse not too long before that. And, and, uh, uh, I was hazing a steer and the hazing horse broken too and bucked me off and separated my pelvis and, and, uh, uh, fluke deal. But, uh, but anyway, uh, that was in the fall of 06 and mm-hmm. I still competed the rest of that year, but was, was having quite a bit of pain. And then I, I took a little break and then, uh, in, uh, I hazed for a couple guys at the IFR that year in, uh, January of 07. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, some things changed with the IPRA and I got an opportunity to become the general manager of the IPRA and, and, uh, pretty much quit competing and focused on, on the business side of things. I understand. I understand. And, and a broken pelvis, right? A separated pelvis. Um, 
what 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 is the treatment for that and <laughs> I, and and what what's it feel like when you step on a horse with a broken pelvis well and so <laughs> uh what when it happened it was the the horse bucked and and you know i wasn't ready i was looking back watching the guy catch a steer and oh, wow. and then the horse broken too and so I, I hit on the horse several times and up on the front of my saddle. And, oh, wow. and, and so now I'm just wanting to get off and save my life. And, and, uh, the horse is still bucking. And when I go to try to step off, he kind of swoops oh, wow. <laughs> back sideways and, oh. and I end up landing right in front of him and he stomps on me pretty good. And, and so he stepped on the, on the back of my leg, right behind my knee. And he stepped on my back and kicked me in the back of the head. And as he went over the top of me and, and so at that point I kind of hurt all over. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I wasn't sure what hurt the most, but I was, I I was hurt. So, so I, I got up and, and somebody helped me out of the arena and I sat down and I was actually more worried about my knee. It hurt the worst and knee injuries are common for steer wrestlers. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I was worried about it and it started to swell up. And so I did go to the, <clears throat> go to the doctor and, and get checked. And so, uh, uh, they did some x-rays and I think they did MRI of my knee. And, uh, and so they said there wasn't anything broke and the knee looked like it was just, uh, they said some soft tissue damage on the back of the leg, but nothing with the stability of the joint and the knee itself. And mm-hmm. so I thought, well, that's good. So mm-hmm. a few weeks later, I was entered at the Prairie Circuit Finals. It was at Guthrie, Oklahoma then. And mm-hmm. and so uh, I put kind of a brace on it and wrapped it up and, and I competed there and uh, I didn't, I didn't do very well and it, and it hurt to ride a horse but I'd turned black and blue and stuff. And I, they had x-rayed my hips and stuff and nothing was broken, but I thought I, and I think I did tear my groin mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. but, but there's not a lot to be done for that. And mm-hmm. so I thought, well, I'll get through this and then I'll take a little break and, and heal up. Mm-hmm. And so I, that was in, uh, certifiers in November. And so then, uh, I stayed off a horse until I hazed for a couple of guys at the IFR in January and then took another break. And, uh, then in about the first of March, the last longhorn rodeo that was at Tulsa, mm. uh, uh, it, it was, uh, I entered it. I'd leased the horse that I had at the time to Tudor silver. That was one of my former traveling partners when I quit going and, and, uh, he leased the horse and he was coming to Tulsa and it was a good rodeo and close to home. And I thought, well, I'll enter it. And, uh, I ran my steer and of all things, I kind of lost my stirrup when I left the box, which rarely ever happened to me, but it did that day. And so I just squeezed real hard and tried to get off and catch the steer. And I did get off and catch him, but it didn't go well. And it really hurt. And I, I told my wife, I said, I don't know. I think something's still wrong. Cause it really hurt when I had to squeeze like that. Yeah. So I go back to the doctor. And so now this time they did an MRI and put like a phone piece of foam between my legs. And they said, well, you separate your pelvis. Oh yeah, how'd you do that? And I said, well, I did it last October <laughs> Oh, my. and this is March. Yeah. And so, so anyway, you know, there, there wasn't a lot to do for it. I, I, uh, 
they gave me a big belt that went around my hips that kind of okay. held everything together and okay. told me not to ride a horse for a while and and uh, and stuff. So so uh, it it's uh, it still gives me a little problem, but not. I mean, I I can kind of do whatever I want, and and okay. uh, it's uh, uh, it just took a lot longer to heal then because it it you know. I, I'm not a doctor, certainly, but I guess it's just a piece of cartilage that holds your pelvis together in the oh, middle. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, it, 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 and and so when you tear that loose, it just constantly kind of moves a little bit, and oh, wow. and it's hard to get it to heal because you know every little movement kind of keeps it from healing. So when I wore that belt for a while and really pulled my hips together and stuff, and didn't ride a horse or try to get spraddled out, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it. it yeah, eventually it, uh, it, uh, I don't ride a horse very much anymore. If I do, when I first get off, it might be a little sore, but mm-hmm. it's not, you know, doing any damage or anything. And so, okay. so you would yeah. say generally walking about these days, no issue. Yeah, I can, you know, I've got aches and pains like mm-hmm. most 60 year old guys and especially, especially 60 year old guys <laughs> that, you know, rodeoed hard for 25 years, yeah. but, but, uh, yeah. I, really fortunate. I, I, yeah. I can get around pretty good and, uh, uh, you know, I can, I can kind of, kind of do what I want, uh, at, at, my, at my own pace. I, I, I've taken up golf as a hobby. And so, uh, I play a little golf and, and, uh, that's my, that's my getaway and my escapes. So. Okay. So this is, this is my final question. There's two of them. Okay. <laughs> did, did you ever compete at St. Teat in the steer wrestling? Yes. Many okay. times okay. Uh, before I quit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, and the next time we meet Dale, we're going to, we're going to talk a lot about St. Teat and, and your involvement and how that rodeo has grown so much. Um, any one, I mean, did you win up there? Was that, uh, and, and the crowds, right? The crowds up there. Yeah. It's, uh, I never won first. I, uh, I won second there a couple of times, but I never, I never won first. My horses had a lot of success. Uh, uh, I can remember, uh, uh, one year, uh, they took uh, uh, twelve back to the short go. Then I think they only take eight now, and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I had eleven of the twelve. Wow. I, I was entered. Plus I had so there was only one guy that didn't ride my horse. So I almost had a cinch to win something on. My <laughs> horse. But but, but uh, yeah, when I first went there, uh, you know, it was. I, I mean, I've still not seen anything quite like it, but, uh, <laughs> right. uh you know, the, the, the French culture and everything, the announcer yeah. being in French and, and all yeah. that. So I have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> right. I just know whatever it is, they get the people really excited they and, do. uh, and to see, I think last time I checked with, uh, Sylvan and them, uh, you know, for the festival, you know, there's over 600,000 people come through the, a town yep. of about 3,500 yep. and there's no hotels <laughs> no. and there's just, they're camped everywhere. Absolutely. And they, uh, if people have a spare room, they rent it out. And, uh, it's, you know, I, I've been to big events and big rodeos and, 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 but I've never been in a, <laughs> been to a rodeo that big in that small a town. Right. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. just consumes everything that festival uh, you know, for 600,000 people or more to come through there in 10 days. 
and the rodeo only holds 7,500 people. So, right, right. so you know, yeah. at the most, if, if nobody goes twice, there's 75,000 <laughs> right. people go to the rodeo. Right. I mean, it's just a fraction of the people. Yeah. But it's the main event and the center of attention. And, you know, as you saw, it's it's <laughs> one block in the in the middle of town and that yep. takes up the rodeo arena and and it's uh, it's a pretty incredible place. Okay, and and my final question for you, Dale. Um, I know you competed at Saint Teat in the steer wrestling. Did you ever compete in in uh, Saint Teat in golfing? Maybe a tournament or something <laughs> like that. Well, so so some of the guys up there have have taken up golf for recreation <laughs> too, and, and Sylvan, the the general manager of the rodeo, being one of them, and so. We have played together a few times, so so this year, yeah, on, on Monday after the first weekend after the Canada Cup, before the the next rodeo started, is kind of their off day, and and so they ha- they organized a little golf tournament up there this year, and so myself and and Sylvan and BJ and Dustin Thompson, yep, who's yep. old bronc rider from yep. Western Canada, and now yep. is a stock contractor, uh, we we had a team and a four man scramble, and so. So uh, we were the inaugural uh, St. Pete uh, golf scramble champions. And yeah. so, I, that, I mean, you know, that's a pretty memorable thing to hang my hat on. Yeah, absolutely. I can't throw a steer down anymore. So. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm excited for you. No one can ever, only one person or only one team can win the very first ever. So congratulations right. on that win. <laughs> well dale this, i'm sure that i'm sure that will go down in the history books for sure absolutely absolutely well dale this has been a, a real pleasure for me and i really appreciate you taking the time next time we get together there's so much more we got to cover and uh I'd, I'd love to have you back in the near future so we can get on with everything else we need to get to how about that sounds good i look forward to it all right All right. We hope that you enjoy our podcast as much as we enjoy doing it. If you do, please share it with your friends. Help us spread the word. Please, please, please share it on Facebook. To make your listening easier, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Search for Beyond the Shoots and follow us. Remember, check out the New York State Rodeo Museum Facebook group page and become a member. And we'd like to say thank you to Parasite Systems for their support with our podcast. Parasite System is a push-button, parasitic, diagnostic, diagnostic system for pasture animals, your horses, cattle, goats, sheep, chickens, and for your companion animals, your dogs and your cats. You can find them at ParrotSightSystems.com. They now offer testing in Canada, and we've got a coupon for 50% off your testing. You need simply to go on to ParrotSightSystems.com, and when you purchase your specimen bags, your specimen kits, you can enter the code BTC023 and get 50% off. And this is Beyond the Shoots with Dale Yerrigan. Until next time, this is Doug Simcox. Thank you for listening.